0: How can you not be romantic about baseball? We're a high drive to left! This baby's way back! It is out of here! I don't
1: believe what I just saw! Coswell slashes one foul. Oh, that hit a bird! And it bounces back into fair territory! Oh, I gotta I gotta check the rule book on this
0: one, folks. I'm too drunk to taste this chicken.
1: Our ass is in the jackpot now!
0: You're listening to Booze and Baseball. There's 50 feet of crap. And then there's us. A baseball-first podcast, sort of, featuring
1: Derek Johnson. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And Dusty Baker. I heard that. Dynamite drop-in money That broadcast school has really paid off. So sit back and enjoy the talk around the diamonds with a cold one in hand. Today's secret ingredient
0: is. Yeah! I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch, scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Mm-hmm. Welcome back into Booze and Baseball with Dusty Baker. I'm Derek Johnson. This is episode number two for us. Uh, by the way, thank you to MixKit for the stock music. So this week, obviously, we're going to be talking about everything other than the World Series. We don't need to talk about what just happened there. Uh, But no, Dusty, seriously, uh, I mean, have you slept at all since Tuesday night, the Dodgers in the World Series?
1: (laughs) You you know, Derek's a a Giants fan, so he's seen this happen three times. So he kind of probably got used to it a little bit. Uh, For me, obviously, my entire lifetime kind of waiting for that moment. and uh, I don't think anything's going to be sweeter than the first time. And so, yeah, no, I have not slept. I, I think uh, in the middle of the night sometimes I'll actually wake up and just check my phone and then all of a sudden magically I'm rewatching the last out again. Uh, it, it's like – it's kind of an addiction and it's a problem at this point. Um, so, you know, we're doing this show about booze and baseball and I think I've got a bigger problem probably with rewatching those highlights than anything that has to do with, you know, alcohol. <laughs> so I, I, I'm very thankful though, you know, it was – it was special, and to be there in person, too. Uh, you know, I was there from the start of the ride. I mean, from the NLDS all the way through the World Series, and I, I didn't really sleep in between. I, I think my common phrase throughout these past three weeks to people is I'm running on straight adrenaline at this point, and uh, at this point now, after the World Series, I'm running on post-World Series adrenaline. So, uh, yeah, I, I think I've averaged maybe three hours of sleep a night, and uh, I don't expect that to end anytime soon, probably until – for all we know, opening day of next year.
0: <laughs> so I guess uh, the natural transition that what are you drinking? I feel like there's a couple obvious choices <laughs> for what you could possibly be drinking here. Uh, what well, is it? it?
1: It could have been, you know, if, uh, if that world series was pushed to a game seven, I don't think my heart would have been able to take any of this. You know, they weren't able to celebrate actually in the locker room or th- anything uh, due to social distancing and whatnot. Um, but so I'm doing it for them. I got some, uh, some of the classic champagne, Andre champagne, got to live it large. (laughs) It's the only way And I'm actually going to pop this thing right now, Derek. What what are you drinking?
0: So what is that a $3 bottle of
1: champagne? It's actually a full $5, Um, you know, really, really rough to kind of find that, that cash, but uh, managed to do, and uh, I'm celebrating appropriately. And obviously I'm actually making a mimosa with this too. So I got myself some OJ on the side here. So that, that's, that's how we're starting this baby off. This is, we're headed to the offseason the right way here, Derek. What, what, what's, what's you got in your cup
0: here? Well, I'm glad you really splurged on the Dodgers winning the World Series with the $5 <laughs> bottle of champagne. I'm, I'm drinking a coffee, and uh, it's not just any normal coffee, but it is a spiked coffee and the alcohol of choice in the coffee. Have you ever had a screwball? It's like peanut butter whiskey. I yeah, have. put a little of that in your coffee. It tastes really good. So that is uh, what I'm going with today.
1: I, I respect the move. Let's, uh, let's do a cheers after I pop this. Let's, let's see if the Andre can actually live up to expectations with the pop.
0: hope this makes a good sound. Yeah, that was good.
1: I was waiting for the classic no sound, nothing, and it's just like, well, this is how we're starting a show. So this is already an improvement from last week when I had whatever that garbage was, like a sangria. Yeah, this is already a, a good start to us, and then we're going to throw a little OJ in this thing. This is, a, this is an exciting one for both of us, but here, cheers to you, my friend.
0: Cheers to you. Cheers to the Dodgers winning the World Series. Cheers to the 2020 MLB season actually playing and going through okay.
1: You know, when you look at that, uh, yeah, it was obviously as Dodgers fans, sure, that's a huge victory to win the first World Series in t- 32 years, but uh, you kind of mentioned it. I mean... The MLB had its (laughs) – I I think it it couldn't have ended on a more 2020 note of Justin Turner getting pulled in the seventh inning uh, due to a COVID case. What was it? 55 consecutive days without a COVID case, and it went all the way until the last day, the last couple innings possible of the 2020 season before, of course, we get another COVID case. Just unbelievable uh, how 2020 had a strike one last time. You got to kind of give Rob Manfred a little bit of credit. I know that a lot of people aren't – a huge fan of some of the moves that he's made and they've certainly been questionable, but to be able to make it through and navigate this year, it's very impressive.
0: All right. So let's get into a review of some of our predictions because we're going to both owe some drinks here. We uh, both picked the Dodgers to win the world series. So we're good there. I picked them in six, you picked them in seven. So I think I get the edge there. I think you owe a drink for that.
1: I I will cheers to that. Congratulations. You got Dodgers in six. I I felt like if Blake Snell was dealing the way that he was and they left him in, then all of a sudden my prediction might have been a little more correct. That game seven would have been scary. But congratulations. You got it. Game six. Here's your drink. uh,
0: That was uh, quite the decision. And we'll get into that uh, along with kind of everything that happened in the World Series in just a bit. Who wins game one? You picked the Dodgers. I picked the Rays. So I owe a drink for that. Um, If you want, we can just keep a running total here. Uh, Who wins World Series MVP? Neither of us got that right, so you're good to go there. More home runs, Randy Rosarena or Corey Seager. I said Seager. You said even. It ended up being three for Randy because of the last one he hit in game six, two for Seager. Otherwise, you would have had the even there. Uh, Kenley Jansen, his over-under for saves, set it at one and a half. It was zero saves. He didn't record a single one. So I hit the under. You had the over there, so you'll owe another drink there. So we'll be one to one in drinks for those two over under for 20 total home runs. It was over. We both said that. So we're good to go there. Half a streaker on the field. This is one that I think there's an asterisk technically there was not a streaker on the field. So you would hit the under, but I am convinced that I should win this because I'm counting Justin Turner going back on the field with COVID as close enough. I said in the last show, could you imagine if a fan had COVID uh, just st- is it streaked, struck? I don't know. Onto the field and the like field, hugged yeah. one of the players, gave yeah. him COVID. Well, I mean that's kind of close to what Justin Turner did running on the field. So I am counting that as a win for myself.
1: You know what? That's fine. I honestly, I, the explanation works for me. I will accept that. I have two drinks. You have one. And uh you oh, know there's that, one that, more.
0: More David Price or Andrew Friedman mentions. Oh, yeah, you had Friedman. Rough. I had Price. I. I wasn't watching the game with sound on the entire time uh, of the series, but from what I could tell based on what they were showing on the broadcast or when I was listening to the game as well, um, it was Andrew Friedman. So I'll give you that one. So it'll be two to two and drinks. We both owe two drinks and cheers again. Okay. So now on to the good stuff, the old uh, recap of the world series. And, I mean, honestly, like, I don't even know where to begin, whether it's, you know, Kershaw pitching lights out the whole postseason or Manny Margot trying to steal home in game five or uh, Mookie Betts officially becoming Taco Betts or I guess Mookie <laughs> Bell, depending on which you would prefer. <laughs> Mookie uh, Bell, I
1: think, is a preference, actually. like that, that one? one? That one just – That rings like the bell at Taco Bell, man. That that's what we got to roll with here. Mookie Bell is a. That's a good way to put it. But yeah, I mean, you could go any direction. The Benny Snell
0: Game Six, the Wacky Game Four, which was one of the best playoff games I've ever seen. So I guess uh, I'll just leave it up to you. What were kind of your overarching thoughts uh, from what we saw in totality?
1: You know, going into this, I think you and I kind of agreed. A lot of it was going to come down to how Clayton Kershaw would perform on the biggest stage. And, uh, you know, every time around uh, these postseasons, you know, we would say the quote, this is the biggest game he's ever pitched in his career. We would say that all the time. Um, You could argue that we said that statement when he was brought in relief against the Nationals in Game 5 of the NLDS last year. I think the way that he performed in Game 1 – That gave L.A. fans and players a pretty good idea that he wasn't in this thing to choke it like what the narrative suggested. And, you know, a lot of people have been frustrated, a lot of negative uh, feed against Clayton Kershaw. A lot of people trying to knock him consistently like they have over the years. They want to say, well, it's a 60-game sprint and, you know, his arm's healthier and whatnot. And that's true. That's absolutely true. He was a much more fresh arm going into this postseason he didn't throw 200 innings if you remember correctly on opening day he was actually an opening day scratch dustin may started in his place and so to see him come back uh, especially after being a late scratch in the nlcs uh, for game two and ended up pitching in just game four didn't pitch all that great to be honest against the braves Uh, but to see him come back and do what he did in game one i think that set the tone for the rest of the series now granted uh, you know, Tampa Bay, what a great job they did at responding to adversity. Uh, they were able to even the series at one. L.A. takes a 2-1 series lead. And what do they do in game four? How about the biggest implosion by the Dodgers? Or maybe, just maybe, we got a credit to credit the Rays a little bit on the fact that they were able to go back and forth and respond to the Dodgers' responses. I mean, if you looked at it, it's the first time in World Series history that there were four consecutive innings uh, where a run was scored every half inning. You know, bottom of the fourth inning all the way to the top of the eighth inning, It was just kind of amazing to see, you know, everybody wants to look at the last play of that game in game four, but, you know, people have failed to recognize that the Rays were able to stay hand in hand with the Dodgers. I mean, the majority of these games, game one, truly was the only game the Rays really weren't in from the get go because Kershaw, as you mentioned, was just Adams absolutely lights out. As for game five, you know, Kershaw wasn't nearly on top of this game. He allowed, I believe five consecutive innings, the leadoff runner on base, Um, but you got to give him a lot of credit because those Rays are a scrappy lineup and he found ways to get around it. And that included obviously the manual Margot stolen home attempt that ultimately did not go the Rays way. Uh, And what did you think of that? What did you think of that move? Because I thought that, you know, a lot of people would text me saying that was an idiotic move and uh, they thought, yeah, that was not the right decision. I think it was a great decision by Margot. It just didn't work out.
0: I liked it I mean at that point there were two outs if he would have done it with zero or one out you know that would have been a little silly because you still have the opportunity of the sack fly but I liked it there were I think there were two strikes on the batter I can't remember that for sure but there were definitely two outs and you just kind of give yourself a chance he wasn't paying attention to him the whole time and I mean it was really really close like he did get tagged out it was the right call but it was really close so I didn't mind it at all. I, I tend to like aggressiveness. Um, so I I thought it was fun. Um, and yeah, I, would be totally fine with them doing it again. With, with the way the
1: Kershaw sets up in the stretch too, uh, I think Margot after playing a little throwback here, but on that raised roster, you have Margot and Hunter Renfro that were originally on the Padres. So it's not their first time facing Kershaw, like the majority of that raised lineup. And so, you have to imagine that at some point in time during the regular season, when Margot was a part of the Padres and watching Kershaw pitch, he, he picked up on the fact that Kershaw just either doesn't pay attention to the runner at third um, or just simply that his, his constant delivery in the windup or in the stretch, I, I should say, Margot taking a lead. It was a pretty decent sized lead. The moment that Kershaw's hands go up, Margot takes off. I think it was a genius move and it just straight up didn't work. However, We go to the next game, game six, and uh, you can kind of kick this one off here. That was a very different call. Probably one of the most uh, controversial moves in World Series history, in my opinion, uh, with what uh, ultimately happened with Blake Snell.
0: Yeah. And so uh, that kind of segues into this next segment I want to do. It's bar napkin scribbles. Some uh, notes that I jotted down over the course of the World Series on my little bar napkin. Um, The first one was about Clayton Kershaw. You kind of hit the nail on the head. I mean, he was, he was just money the whole postseason. In, in the World Series, he goes 11 and two-thirds innings, three earned, 14 strikeouts. If not for Corey Seager, he probably wins World Series MVP. He had a 2.93 postseason ERA in total, and the Dodgers won four of his five postseason starts. And it kind of felt similar to me in when, like, Peyton Manning or Alexander Ovechkin finally won uh, the Super Bowl and Stanley Cup respectively for those guys. So congrats to Clayton Kershaw. But, yeah, as far as the game six goes, I think to me that was kind of um, – I don't know if it would be vindication for Dave Roberts, but it, it almost felt like Dave Roberts outmanaged Kevin Cash the whole series. And I still think Kevin Cash is like a really good manager, but I think that Dave Roberts was pretty money in the World Series, going down to the very end when he let Julio Urias stay in the ball game and kind of finish things out.
1: Yeah, I I totally agree with that, actually. And, uh, you know, prior to this World Series, you and I talked about uh, we went position to position. What did we think of the manager? And I think both of us kind of leaned towards Kevin Cash a little bit. You said it was more of a wash. Um, And I I strongly kind of sided with Cash just because I felt like a lot of his moves he had made prior to the World Series, I mean, they they were well-thought-out analytical moves that made sense for his team uh, logically. And so... For the first time in game six, probably the worst timing possible to make arguably just one of the worst moves prior to even actually playing out. Uh, I think when I was sitting in the press box and essentially watched that move take place, I thought Cash was going out there as some kind of mound visit, knowing that Snell was going up against Mookie with a runner at first base. Uh, For those of you at home that don't recall that situation, Snell had gone five and two-thirds innings pitched. At that time, he had not allowed a single run and struck out nine. Uh, He was completely dominant the entire ballgame, and he only had 73 pitches on the day. And and it's insane to think what might have been had he stayed in because I think he had at least another two innings in him. He could have gone into the eighth inning – not allowing a single run, he keeps Snell in. That team is arguably pushing a game seven with Charlie Morton. And the amount of storylines you could have with that, considering Morton shut down the Dodgers in game seven of the 2017 World Series. I mean, the Rays really messed this one up here, all because Cash decided he didn't want his starting pitcher to go through the the lineup a third time around. And so I I look back on this, and, um, yes, that's a defining point. We can't predict the future. But I do think that outside of maybe game four, Dave Roberts sticking with Kenley Jansen a little too long, that's really the only big botch that he had in this entire thing. Uh, Outside of that, you're kind of totally right. I mean, Dave Roberts really well-managed World Series, brilliantly managed NLCS. I, I think the way that Roberts managed the NLCS when his team was definitely not consistently producing, it was a brilliant effort. I think he got better as the postseason got along. Uh, And outside of game four of the World Series, I mean, Roberts really did a phenomenal job. And sticking with Julio Urias, I want to talk about him real quick too. How about the postseason that he had? I mean, shutting down the Braves in game seven of the NLCS, going back out there uh, and and doing the exact same thing to close out the World Series. I think we really witnessed what he's capable of doing. uh, And who knows? Maybe the Dodgers are going to look at him as more of a long relief closer kind of guy as the next man to step up for Kenley because – as you kind of saw there in the World Series, Kenley Jansen's time as the closer, it looks like it's over.
0: I think that, you know, that the decision from Kevin Cash to pull Blake Snell is kind of everything that we've gotten on Dave Roberts for. It was kind of uh, the ultimate switcheroo between those two guys for what normally happens. I mean, you brought up last week, you brought up the Rich Hill scenario from the uh, 2017 or 2018
1: 2018 world series.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was just kind of the same idea there. And I mean, if the Rays bullpen balls out, like they had kind of in the AL playoffs, like it's not discussed as much because they get through the game anyway. But then going to Nick Anderson, who at that point had really struggled, he had given up runs in six straight outings, it just makes it look bad, especially when you let Tyler Glass now go so long into a game when he struggled. He went over 110 pitches in that game, and I get it. That was more of a, you know, how many times you go through the lineup versus a pitch count thing. But I I think that there's something to be kind of mixed between both the analytics side of it and the gut side of it. And I do also think like, to be fair to Kevin Cash, because I still think he's a really good manager. It does to a certain point come down to how the player just performs. Like Dustin May, for instance, gets wrecked out of the pen in game two, but then he pitches remarkably in game five. So the decision to put him in in game five looks good. Blake Trinan gives up two runs in two outs recorded in game four. Dave Roberts goes back to him for game five. He gets the save, so it looks good. In game four, uh, Dave Roberts leaves Pedro Baez in. He gives up a bomb to Brandon Lau, but it wasn't his fault because Pedro Baez shuck off Will Smith's changeup call when Brandon Lau struggled hitting the changeup all year long, and he instead threw him a fastball. So do we blame Dave Roberts for that? Whereas with Kevin Cash, you could say, well, if the Rays bullpen would have just done their job, like nobody would be questioning this. So there is a little bit of that, but it does lead me to say my next kind of napkin scribble analytics are good. I mean, the Dodgers just won the world series analytically based, but just like gut feelings, neither analytics or gut feelings can be the be all end all. And I think Kevin cash is kind of essentially just doing what the front office wants, but he did say in the post game, it wasn't pre-planned, which would make you think that no, it was his decision. I think it was just kind of a bad decision. And for all we know, the Dodgers would have still won that game, even if Snell, you know, stays in the game for another inning or two. If they still bring in Nick Anderson, maybe he still gives up a run. Maybe they still end up losing that game. It was an awful call. It doesn't discount analytics altogether. I think it just shows that there are times when, you know, you have to be able to say, this guy is playing above or below his numbers. You can't always go by the idea of, Well, this is what the numbers say, and this guy is playing to the exact average of your median Tuesday on a July day during the baseball season. There are certain times when you have to evaluate and say, well, Blake Snell, he is dealing right now. And just the emotional lift, I think, that it gave the Dodgers. I mean, you heard this from, like, Mookie Betts and stuff in the postgame. When they took him out, it was a huge mistake. And especially to go to a struggling Nick Anderson – but at the end of the day overall numbers and information are still very good and again the Dodgers won it all with that it just can't be the be-all end-all.
1: Derek I've got to ask you this so Blake Snell gets taken out of the ball game you know he goes five and two-thirds innings pitch we mentioned 73 pitches as this is booze and baseball um, what do you think Blake Snell is drinking the night of game six? I mean, I I don't
0: really view Blake Snell as like the guy who's going to sit down in a nice cocktail bar and and drink a glass of whiskey or uh, a well-made cocktail. I view Blake Snell more as the guy who uh, he's going to pregame the heck out of the party. He's going to take a bunch of shots of vodka, maybe some tequila tossed in there. He's going to down some beers, but he's not really about the elegant uh, cocktail lifestyle. Yeah, I
1: picture Blake Snell after closing hours at Texas Live knocking on the door saying, let me in, let me in, because I need shots at this point. Because <laughs> it, you you saw that reaction from him uh, in that post-game interview, too. I mean, it just looked like death in his eyes, man. I, I feel bad for the guy, to be honest. And I, I got to mention this, too. Um, it's, it's no secret, obviously, at this point that, you know, I am a Dodgers fan and very happy with the end result. But, you know, there's no ill will between Dodgers fans and the Rays, right? Like the Rays are an awesome team. They're a ton of fun to watch. I I think it's so interesting to see day in, day out, how different that lineup is and how it can produce. I mean, one day you see Austin Meadows as their three hitter. The next day, Meadows is riding the bench. I mean, it's just crazy uh, the way that it works. I remember one switch in game five, where G-Man Choi is supposed to come up. Uh, Dodgers counter with Victor Gonzalez, so immediately they bring in Brousseau. It's like just both teams trying to outsmart the other one. And uh, we kind of mentioned this and coined this term earlier, but this was definitely the Andrew Friedman World Series. You talk about two teams that were primarily developed thanks to the genius of Andrew Friedman. Well, I I think it uh, really shows that that man understands the side of analytics, uh, and both of them – definitely kind of made that a priority for them, but you're totally right. There's also, there's a human element to this game. Uh, And so there's a book out there. I recommend everybody that's listening goes and reads it because it, it, it is going to stand the test of time. It's called the mental game of baseball. And that's something that analytics can't break down. That's something that analytics can't describe and make a decision for sometimes Mentally, there's a player that's there and mentally a player's not there. And you can't quantify that based on season stats. Uh, I'll throw out Jock Peterson as an example because Jock Peterson oftentimes in the regular season, he looks like he's not in there. It's all home run or strikeout, Adam Dunn-esque. But the moment the postseason hits... Somehow he decides that October is going to be jocktober and and he steps up to the plate and it's like a completely different human being. And he all of a sudden can see and hit pitches that he wasn't able to even reach in the regular season. So sometimes there's guys that just have ice in their veins and, you know, they're, they're ready to go. And uh, I think that Blake Snell is one of those guys. I really do. I think on paper, it looked like the Rays should be pushing this thing to a game seven, but yeah, that's, that's a move that we're going to be questioning for a very long time. Uh, you got a feel for Blake snow. There's a, a winner and a champion in him. I think eventually one day he will also secure a world series trophy. I wouldn't be shocked if the Rays are back here in the future, you know, sometimes moves just don't go your way. All of a sudden Kevin cash looks like a genius If Nick Anderson comes in throwing gas, Fairbanks comes in throwing gas and shutting down the Dodgers offense. It just didn't happen. Um, and so the storylines will always go against the manager they're a genius when it works and they're the worst and they don't think when it doesn't work. And so unfortunately this one just bit Kevin cash and he saw his team go down in six games and in, in a well-fought series too, by the way, because uh, you know, the Dodgers played incredibly well throughout this postseason. but the Rays deserve a lot of credit. It's not like that lineup outside of a Rosa Reina who we didn't even know who he was going into this postseason, really. Uh, but outside of him, that lineup didn't have a ton of consistency. If you looked at the averages, Uh, World Series game six, I thought it was fascinating. Five of their nine hitters that started the ballgame were hitting in the 100s, which is absolutely unbelievable that you go into a game six and somehow you see those numbers. It was was something I don't think you'll see with most teams uh, in the past. And so uh, credit to the Rays because they found ways to win. Uh, Their numbers weren't necessarily sexy, but they still made it work. They went all five against the Yankees. They went all seven against the Strohs. And they almost went seven against the Dodgers. And had it not been for that move, it might have been that way.
0: All right, next napkin, Scribble. Uh, Game four was the best game of the series, and I don't really know what else to say about that one. It was just amazing. It was wacky. It was chaotic. Uh, Following that, I love how postseason baseball creates new heroes of guys who aren't huge names coming into it. For the Rays, it was obviously Randy Rosarena, and then for that game specifically, Brett Phillips. And by the way, on Phillips, how about the sneaky move that the San Francisco Giants made to purposely try to prevent the Dodgers from winning the World Series? Think about this. Five years ago in 2015, they signed Lucius Fox. He is later traded to the Tampa Bay Rays for Matt Moore. Fox spends time in the Rays system, eventually goes to the Royals for Brett Phillips, who hits the game winner in the fourth game. They knew that was going to happen. They tried to prevent the Dodgers from winning the World Series. Just very smart there. And then uh, for the Dodgers, I guess the unheralded hero made by the postseason, uh, you could say Julio Urias. He's a bit of a bigger name, so maybe that one doesn't count. But I think the big one for the Dodgers would
1: probably be Victor Gonzalez. I totally agree. And I honestly love that breakdown on that trade, too. The Giants constantly trying to find ways. I'll still never forgive them for the Jason Schmidt move in which – Jason Schmidt basically convinced the Giants, saying, my career is over, just send me to the Dodgers, let me, let me sign with them. Uh, I'll steal some of their money, I'll make them, you know, have to pay me moving forward, market me so that I can't do anything for them. Yeah, so, but wasn't that the Frank McCourt years? So, I mean... That was, that was. Frank McCourt also trying to take down the Dodgers himself, too. He still owns part of that parking lot structure. He still knows what he's doing out there.
0: I mean, by taking on all that money, you basically, you know escalated it uh, getting to the
1: point where he had to file for bankruptcy and sell the team. So it actually worked out in the end. That's actually a great point. And I think in our trade, we decided let's just give them Farhan to, to make this thing even at this point. It's kind of crazy. You look at it, the Dodgers and Giants, the rivalry that exists there uh, you got a Dodgers fan here and a Giants fan right here as well. And uh, a lot of things intertwined between those two organizations to Two great historic organizations on top of that. But, yeah, you know, to, to look at those names that you threw out there, I, I would totally agree with kind of both sides of it. We knew that a Arena going to the World Series at that point would be as good as advertised. Brett Phillips, though, I don't think anybody, including myself, really knew. I, I think that you've got to add to that list, actually, Blake Trinan as well. Because Blake Trinan, to be able to come into a Game 5 situation a day after Kenley Jansen blew it, uh, and, and trying and able to easily secure the save. And you have Urias come in the next day and you know go three innings of shutdown baseball. I mean, and Victor Gonzalez on top of that, you have three bullpen arms that I don't think the Dodgers really initially going into the season thought those those would be the arms. They thought that they would be the bridge to Kenley Jansen. They didn't think that was actually what they were expecting would close out the ballgames. And so great job by all three of them. Uh, And on top of that, for the Tampa Bay Rays, I think we got to throw Kevin Kiermaier into the mix. The fact that Kiermaier was able to cause as much damage as he did offensively, um, you know, this is a guy that's not a power hitter, but he was able to spank around the Dodgers pitching consistently throughout throughout this postseason and uh, a lot of clutch hits. Uh, to be able to keep his Rays in the ballgame at the bottom of that order, he was actually kind of a scary name to see walk up to the plate. And so uh, we knew who Kevin Kiermaier was. We knew his defense was great, but his bat definitely showed up more so in this World Series. And so to see what the Rays did in that side, I also want to add the speed that the Rays feature. Um, I tweeted it in game five. You know, Margot tries to steal home, he gets thrown out. Still, there are not a lot of teams that can scare you as much as the Rays do on the base paths because when you have an element of winning on the base paths, that that gives you an edge over nearly every single team in this league. Uh, At this point, it's all about launch angle. It's not about the small ball. And the Rays, they kind of go against the grain, and and you see how it's worked out for them. I mean, they nearly pulled out a World Series. And, you know, if Margot scores that run in Game 5, we're talking about possibly Clayton Kershaw you know, going out of that ballgame with no decision, and then who knows from there? The bullpen having to step up in, in an even bigger way instead of LA winning four to two. All
0: right, my next scribble. Trading is good sometimes, but other times it's bad. So uh, to go more in depth there, trading for Mookie Betts was a great idea. And now I think Boston, you're gonna have maybe the curses of the bets, Bino instead of the Bambino there. And by the way, watching Mookie Betts do all those fun things in the World Series, whether it was, you know, steal a run on uh, what should be an infield out or him stealing bases just in general, making a great play in the outfield, hitting a home run, just makes me feel even worse. We can't get Mike Trout a playoff win or even back to the playoffs after the last time he was in there, which is only once, and they got swept by the Royals. The other one, though, where sometimes trading is bad – Remember, for the longest time, the the Dodgers were uh, thought of as as maybe the team that could go out and make a trade package for Francisco Lindor. And obviously, Francisco Lindor, great player, probably would have worked out with the Dodgers as well. But one of the guys who was talked about in that trade package, the obvious, you know, to go back there because Lindor would be playing his position and also it would be a good return piece to help even out the trade was Corey Seager. Well, I think the Dodgers are happy that they held on to Corey Seager. He wins uh, World Series MVP, hits 400. By the way, don't let it overshadow how good Justin Turner, Jock Peterson, and Max Muncy were hitting in the World Series. But Corey Seager was a very uh, deserving World Series MVP. So trading sometimes good, trading sometimes bad.
1: I think it's a great point. And, uh, you know, it, it's funny that you mentioned Lindor because Lindor struggled immensely this regular season and postseason as well. Uh, he couldn't even help it lead his team to a win over the Yankees when he had the bases loaded twice. And so you look at Corey Seager, that, that man was clutch, not even just in the world series. He also captured the, uh, nationally championship series MVP. And so just throughout this entire postseason. Seeger looked like when Mookie Betts wasn't going to step up necessarily, and oftentimes he stepped up big time. But uh, in moments where Mookie maybe couldn't carry the load, Seeger did. And uh, that was a one-two punch that really set up Justin Turner well, and set up Muncie well. I, I got to give Dave Roberts a little bit of credit to keep Muncie, and-, and just in general, that top four in the lineup the way that it was. Uh, There's probably some temptation to either move Muncie down the lineup and move Bellinger or Will Smith up. Uh, you know, Will Smith was fire until the World Series. Then all of a sudden, something fell off. He's kind of an unlucky hitter. A lot of hard hit rates that just went right at the fielders. They're, they're, the Rays' defense is truly amazing, and that's where analytics works. But, yes, to to kind of answer your point, um, the, the trading aspect of trading for Mookie Betts, I mean – I feel like the Dodgers in three to four years are going to wish that they had Alex Verdugo on their roster and Jeter Downs. But sometimes you got to give to get uh, that, That's really the only way that it works. And um, the only team that still blows my mind right now is the Miami Marlins, because, you know, at one point in time, they had two MVPs on that team. They had a catcher that now arguably is the best catcher in baseball. And their return for that essentially was Lewis Brinson. Yet somehow, some way, They made it to the postseason and made it to the NLDS. So the Marlins will continue to ever, uh, forever confuse me. I'll never understand what goes on there. Uh, I feel like that rule of trading is good and trading is bad just doesn't apply to the Marlins because somehow the Marlins just sneak their way through things. They're they're the weirdest team in baseball.
0: The Marlins rule is trading is irrelevant. We will be the Marlins regardless. (laughs) Uh, Next scribble. (laughs) The Dodgers got to the Rays' bullpen a few times. Um, The Dodgers actually, like if you just look at the bullpen stats, had the better bullpen in this series. 28 and a third innings pitched by the bullpen, 12 earned runs. Rays' bullpen, 25 innings pitched, so three and a third less, 12 earned runs. The same amount of runs, lower ERA for the Dodgers. Now, it's a a little bit of a catch-22 because – Obviously, the Dodgers pen had to go up against a weaker lineup than the Rays pen did. So I think if you're still, you know, picking between the two bullpens, you're probably still leaning toward the Rays. But I think given that we thought that was going to be a big advantage for the Rays coming into the series, the fact that they basically
1: made it a wash was a huge win for the Dodgers. Yeah, absolutely, and, uh, you know, we had talked about who our favorite Rays reliever was because, I mean, to be honest, you sit back and you kind of get wide-eyed. You, you see those names there, and uh, it's crazy how quickly that bullpen developed, but you have the Andersons, you have the Fairbanks, you have the Castillos, and uh, credit to Diego Castillo, by the way. I don't think he's getting enough credit, too. He's mainly the closer for the Tampa Bay Rays, but he was thrown in a lot of high-leverage situations, so Diego Castillo actually did his job. Uh, But, yeah, the the Dodgers bullpen, um, we keep bringing up the same names for a reason. You know, Blake Trinan, uh, you have Victor Gonzalez, and then Julio Ruiz, too. Uh, Dustin May kind of should get a little bit of credit for what he was able to do, uh, relieving Kershaw in game five. You know, the bullpen stepped up in a big way. And, yeah, the the Rays lineup is not particularly strong, but it's strong enough to get them to the World Series. So, at that point in time – The Dodgers did their job. They did it against the guys they needed to, uh, and it it became a wash. And, honestly, Nick Anderson did not look good on the hill. That was my, quote-unquote, favorite Ray. Fairbanks serving up a home run to Mookie Betts to kind of solidify that game six. Uh, It just – it didn't go exactly how the Rays had anticipated, uh, especially considering that bullpen had been dominant all year long. And so, uh, I think what this goes to show – is sometimes even the most reliable arms in the pen, they're going to struggle too. And that's why offense is such an important factor to baseball nowadays. You know, pitching and defense can win you games, but, you know, I think you have to say, you know, back in the day, people will say the best pitching will always win. Maybe pitching isn't the be all end all. Uh, Maybe the offense is a little more valuable. Maybe that's what it's showing nowadays is uh, relievers. I just feel like they come and go, they come and go. And, they're high moments. That doesn't necessarily mean during the regular season it's going to reflect in the postseason. And I think that Rays kind of displayed that here in the World Series. All right, next bar scribble.
0: Rob Manfred at the end was a funny situation. I mean, that's <laughs> kind of straightforward. Um, he had the slurred speech at the end. That was, I saw it described as basically like a sensation caused when you have a delayed earpiece and you're talking, you hear yourself on a delay. It basically, like, the frequencies in your mind cause you to slur your speech without even realizing it. Kind of a weird situation. But the funny part to me was the booing of everybody, which I expected to happen. I mean, at this point, like, he's established himself as, like, the worst commissioner in sports. I I don't know enough about, like, I enjoy hockey, but I just know that everybody hates Gary Bettman, the commissioner for the NHL. I don't really know why. I just know everybody does. Um, But Rob Manfred's kind of in that – that uh, discussion as well and having to give the quote unquote piece of metal uh, which is the world series trophy, as he referred to it, that was a fun moment for me. And then the other bar scribble I have, what do you think happens if Justin Turner's result of testing positive for COVID-19 occurs either before the game or if the Rays win game six to win game seven? Like, are we waiting like a week before games? Yeah, you know,
1: first of all, going on the Manfred thing, I mean, part of you, yeah, you kind of have to feel bad for the guy. You just had a year in which, you know, he made a lot of nothing into something. Uh, For a while, it looked like we weren't going to have baseball at all. And so giving him credit, at least to to make it through this thing, I, I think that was a huge deal. And, you know, Dodgers fans can boo him all they want. But had there not been an MLB season, the Dodgers wouldn't have had a World Series trophy in their pocket. So uh, the, the piece of metal is funny. Max Muncy actually on Instagram posting the caption saying, what a nice piece of metal. <laughs> that, that one really got me. Max Muncy quietly is one of the most petty people out there, and I absolutely love it. But when you look at the Justin Turner situation, and, and I think a lot of people are going to look at the situation in so many different aspects of this. If the results are found out prior to the game, obviously He's not starting. And you have to believe the Dodgers asked, can we please have this game postponed? And now the killer to that is Blake Snell would no matter what still be the start of that ball game. But I think that the Dodgers all of a sudden somehow get an edge uh, from having a player get COVID. Because instead of having Tony Gonsolin start that game, you're probably having Walker Bueller start it, right? Uh, you have more days rest for him, uh, potentially a week off. You want your best guy out there. so the Rays would probably still stack their rotation the same way of Snell and then potentially Charlie Morton with a glass now uh, coming into game seven versus the Dodgers could have gone Bueller And then if they had lost that game, Clayton Kershaw again in game seven. So yeah, it's kind of a, a difficult move and dilemma in that sense. You wonder if the MLB would have just said, let's play on and have Turner quarantine. And if everybody has a negative test then we play on for those. But I'm, I'm glad that, if there was any, ever time for it to happen, it was in the seventh inning of game six and it didn't really prove to play a, a role in the actual ball game itself. Uh, Turner didn't even have that great, like, like a performance that was uh, well to remember uh, in game six. But um, to look back on it, yeah, it, it was just a tough situation and you have to feel for the guy. He's a captain on that team. Uh, he's a leader. He, you know, you work so hard to go to the World Series. I think a lot of people forget He's in his mid thirties um, and he's a free agent now as well. So it, who's to say the Dodgers don't bring him back. We, we don't know that situation, but this could very well have been his last game ever in Dodger blue and to be able to win a championship and not go out and celebrate with your teammates. That's just crushing uh, knowing what you gave to the organization and, uh, you know, knowing that your career is coming to a close. I, 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 people don't understand how much he's given back to the community. And, uh, you know, that's a moment that you want. You, you look forward to the rest of your life. And so, yeah, that, just a brutal situation across the board. Uh, you feel bad for the guy. It probably wasn't the smartest move for him to go back out on the field to be there with his teammates if it's confirmed he has COVID. The other thing that I'm interested by, just kind of answer with a, another question for you is what if it comes back a false positive? Then how bad are these pundits that are, you know, crushing him right now all over social media?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I definitely feel bad for him, but I think it's some of the optics of, like, you know, on the picture he's taking his mask off. There's, like, pictures of him hugging people on the field, kissing his wife on the field. Or I don't know if it's wife is girlfriend. But um, it's just some of that stuff where it's, like, okay, like – I get it. I get you really want to be out there. I don't think he probably should have gone out there, but at the very least like mask up, you know, maybe even put some gloves on or something. I don't know. Um, I just think that like perfect example for me, like my uh, brother and sister-in-law just had a baby and like me and my wife haven't been able to see the baby. Um, Like the grandparents haven't been able to see the baby in person, you know, it's, it's just stuff like that. Like there's just a lot of stuff going on right now that, People aren't privy to be able to celebrate or go see. So it sucks. And I feel bad for Justin Turner and I hope he gets to celebrate and stuff in his own way. But in that moment, like, I don't know, people have had weddings canceled or like the baby situation. I don't know. There's just certain things that everybody's kind of had taken away with COVID to where I do feel really bad and I get the human element side of it. But at the same point in time, it's, it's kind of a, a bad idea, especially when right. you have, you know, it's not just the players on the field. Like it's one thing to say, Oh, it's just all his teammates. If they're comfortable with it, whatever. I mean, there's all the players, families, there are media members on the field there, you know, there's a bunch of people on the field. There's MLB executives, stuff like that. So I guess we'll get into the wrap up now. I just want to go over some quick news. If you have any comments on any of these um, feel free Tony La Russa and is the manager for the White Sox. And kind of at the time of recording here, sounds like the Tigers are going to get A.J. Hinch.
1: Yeah. And uh, Tony LaRusso, one of the best managers in major league history. Uh, and uh, the White Sox, Derek knows very well, I've been very high on the White Sox well before they actually ascended to the point of where they are now. Uh, just on paper for me, that was a team that looked like they were primed for a World Series run, including this year. And, uh, just kind of, I think the leadership is probably where they were really missing it the most. Um, there's a lot of young guys there. The element is going to be interesting because Tony Larusa is 76 years old. And uh, to, to mix that in with, you know, this new concept of let the kids play and, and the White Sox very much fit into that mold. You have Luis Robert, you have Tim Anderson. Um, I guess the veteran presence there would be Jose Abreu who uh, arguably isn't that MVP con- conversation for this season, but There's a lot of youth involved. Eloy Jimenez throwing that name out there and uh, Nick Madrigal. I mean, it's going to be a very young team managed by a guy that definitely has very old school tradition to it. So is he a great fit for the organization considering who they have out there? That's going to be one to monitor just because of, the relationship that he has with those younger players, I, I don't know. I, I mean, it's going to be one of those things where we won't know until we actually see it. The moment that Tim Anderson pimps a home run, is Tony La going to sit there and say, son, we don't want you to do that? I mean, really, like, is that what we're going to see? Or is Tony LaRusa understanding that, you know, maybe this is a new era and, uh, you know, we're not the it, – it's just – it's going to be different. The Bash brothers were back in his era – And that's not where we're at now We're we're at, let the kids play and a a younger group as for AJ Hinch, man, I tell you what, it's kind of crazy. He's walking into the same situation he did when he was in Houston, the Astros were one of the worst teams in baseball and uh, they didn't have a lot of talent around, but they obviously had a lot of youth that progressively was going to come up at the exact same time for the Tigers this time around. I think that's going to be a scary team in probably three to four years. And so Who knows what the leash is going to be with A.J. Hinch. Obviously, a lot of people are uh, probably not particularly thrilled with his past, uh, but he's still a great manager. He's going to be given a plethora of great young starting pitching, led by Casey Mize. You have uh, Tarek Skubal and then Matt Manning as well. You got Fajardo. So it's, it's going to be great to see Tolkerson coming up. I mean, you wonder how A.J. Hinch's past is going to influence the decisions he makes with this younger group considering he had to do the exact same thing with the Tigers, or with the Astros.
0: Some reliever news, Uh, Yankees picked up Zach Britton's $14 million option. Astros, meanwhile, placed Roberto Ozuna on waivers, and Cleveland placed Brad Hand on waivers.
1: It kind of goes back to that discussion that uh, we briefly had about the, the concept that relievers come and go. And Brad Hand, for a while this season, looked like, he was maybe getting back on track and then he had that implosion in the ALDS against the Yankees. I'm not surprised by this. I think the Indians closer is going to be the kid out of uh, from Texas uh, that they had acquired. Uh, of course, suspension also doesn't help in that respect either, but uh, possibly Karen check as well. I know you're a big Karen guy. So uh, he could potentially find himself in that closing role. And the Indians are just one of the most frustrating teams because they're consistently one of the best every year, yet they let their guys slip away constantly. But this one may not be that bad to let go. Zach Britton, fine to bring back into New York. Um, and, and we'll see what happens moving forward, just relief-wise, uh, in free agency.
0: And then some players had their uh, options declined by their teams, and they're now free agents. Uh, Brett Gardner with the Yankees, Ryan Braun with the Brewers, Corey Kluber with the Rangers, Colton Wong with the Cardinals, uh, D-Strange Gordon with the Mariners, Kendall Graveman had his option declined but then he re-signed to a lesser deal with the Mariners. Sergio Romo with the Twins, Todd Frazier, Wilson Ramos with the Mets, um, Adam Eaton, Anibal Sanchez, Eric Thames, Howie Kendrick all with the Nationals, Mike Leake with the Diamondbacks, Daniel Murphy with the Rockies. There were uh, several others as well, but those are kind of the notables.
1: And those are a lot of names of of kind of their past kind of being where their, their height was. They, they've hit their climactic moment in their career. Uh, some people might say the word washed. I wouldn't say necessarily all of them are washed by any means, but uh, they can produce on different rosters. Uh, you would assume that players like Ryan Braun probably retire. Um, as for a player like Adam Eaton, I still think that there's a lot of value there. I wouldn't be shocked if you see a team like the Tampa Bay Rays go out and get him. He just fits – he fits that mold of a guy that you would expect to be on a Rays team or, um, you know, the White Sox could potentially use him. Uh, They've already got Adam Angle, so why don't we add Adam Eaton to that mix too and just have the mix of the Adams uh, out there. They've struggled in right field. Uh, Who knows what's going to happen with Noah Mazzara. But a lot of those names expect him to sign for minor league deals. This is going to be one of the strangest offseasons we'll ever see – Uh, pandemic playing a huge role and obviously uh, the MLB is in some serious financial debt and so because of that the owners are now going to play the card of well we're in some debt so we got to have lesser contracts uh, because this pandemic has certainly crushed the MLB uh, from a financial standpoint so those players expect minor league deals or retirement at this point.
0: Yeah if you went back in a time machine into 2012 and you're like whoa Ryan Braun's a free agent, Daniel Murphy and Sergio Romo, one of the best relievers and uh, Corey Kluber. Like, wow, this is a great free agency class, but yeah, you're right. Those are kind of the, kind of the older guys. All right. uh, Lasting memory from this season as a whole um, beyond the world series, the entire 2020 season kind of dealing with COVID-19. What were uh, your kind of final thoughts with that?
1: Without mentioning too much about the Dodgers, because obviously we've talked about them this entire show, and yeah, it's it's a personal experience, by the way, for those of you listening. Like when your team wins a championship, and Derek can attest to this because he's seen it three times, and also we just saw it this offseason. Both of our teams actually have won in their different sports. The Dodgers winning the World Series, and Derek is a Kansas City Chiefs fan, and so he uh, he finally got to see them snap out of their little curse that they've had to deal with. So uh, two organizations that have a lot of history and tradition finally getting over the hump. And it's a very special moment, but um, outside of the Dodgers, I just want to throw out there that next season um, the Dodgers right now are favored to win the world series, but the teams to keep your eyes on, I I don't think it's a fluke to see the Padres do what they've done. Um, The Padres are seriously going to be a very scary team. And I think the team that Trevor Bauer goes to is either going to be San Diego or to the LA Angels. Um, we might actually see Mike Trout in another playoff game. He has a chance to win if Trevor Bauer decides to go there. I think that uh, if he goes to the Padres, all of a sudden the Dodgers have some serious company uh, in terms of trying to repeat as World Series champs because the Padres are going to be knocking at that door. And let's not forget they also have Mackenzie Gore coming at them. But I think this was a huge year for the Padres. They're probably a year ahead of their time. Uh, and they really fought – through and through, but Fernando Tatis Jr. establishing himself as a superstar. Um, We knew that he was going to be good. I don't think any of us knew that he was going to be top-level MLB material the way that he has. and uh, He's going to be a scary name for a very long time, still in his early 20s. And the other thing that I want to close out with, um, the Baltimore Orioles, after a great start, they became the Orioles again.
0: As they always do, as is tradition.
1: (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah, for me, I
0: think the lasting memory. I'm just, I'm just glad we got the games in. You know, when the Marlins thing happened, when the Cardinals thing happened, I thought we were kind of dead in the water. Um, so it was great that we actually got the whole season in. I thought it was a lot of fun, sixty games. It was a nice sprint. It made you feel like uh, you were more in tune with every game, everything that happened over the course of the season, which was really cool. And I really thought that. You know, we saw the breakout of some good young players, but now I think it's going to create for a mess moving forward because it's like, well, was this just going to be a good first half for a player in a normal season? Is a player like Christian Yelich like, is he going to continue to slump next year? Was this just going to be a bad six games? It's going to create all these questions. You mentioned the financial implications with free agency. Who knows what that's going to do. I think those are kind of my my overarching thoughts. And just the idea that it felt like for so long we weren't going to have a season, not even just because of COVID, but just because of the negotiations between the owners and the players. We actually got it to happen, and it was a really fun season. I'm just glad that we got baseball. So uh, we're going to have some off-season shows dedicated to the hot stove, kind of previewing 2021, uh, recapping maybe some other interesting things that happened from 2020 and continuing to look ahead – I think qualifying offers are due Sunday, so maybe we can discuss those a little bit on the next show. Also, we're going to be having some guests, I believe, as soon as the next show. And then uh, within the next couple weeks, maybe a month or so, we might even be having on a uh, current MLB player. So uh, exciting news there.
1: Yeah, I can't wait. The next episode that we do of this, uh, we will be having on – Robbie Fueling, who is a Dallas reporter. Um, and so we're excited to kind of talk to him. He was there at the World Series as well. It was his first World Series. And uh, he'll talk a little bit of uh, Rangers baseball with us on top of uh, the World Series and what he witnessed on, on all that. Yes, as Derek kind of teased there, uh, we may be getting some players that are uh, on the field for the MLB level, minor league players, uh, you name it. We're, we're going to continue this thing going. And on top of that, please... Send us questions, topics that you want us to talk about. Uh, you can email us at boozeandbaseball at gmail.com. And uh, also tell us what drinks you want us to try because we uh, we are open to those ideas. I'm kind of keeping an open open door for the future here, and I know Derek is as well. But we're just very thankful and uh, excited, you know, episode two in the books. And uh, we're planning on keeping this consistent, moving forward throughout the offseason.
0: And uh, by the way, I forgot to even get to the reviews of the drinks. So uh, how would you rate yours? Yeah. Uh,
1: 11 out of 10.
0: It's 11 out of just, 10.
1: Wow. Just, just glorious. It, it's, there's nothing like a celebratory drink. I, I think that it's not so much the drink as it is. The, yeah. the feeling that it gives me knowing that I, I'm popping champagne instead of drowning my sorrows in some whiskey or something else that I probably would have drank otherwise The show.
0: Okay, so you hit a home run. I'm going to call mine a double with the uh, coffee with screwball in it because it's, it's enough to, you know, it wakes you up with the coffee. If you give up a – I'm going to call it a leadoff double, actually. You give up a leadoff double into the inning, you know, you kind of snooze into the start of an inning. Sometimes you're like, all right, here I'm settling in for the inning to start. And then you give up leadoff double right off the bat, and you're like, uh-oh. So uh, that's the coffee waking you up, um, but it's good enough with the screwball. tastes really well. I'll give it a solid uh, leadoff double to an inning. All right. He's Dusty Baker. I'm Derek Johnson. Thank you for joining us on another edition of booze and baseball. We'll be back next week to get into some off season, hot stove talk. Thanks for the time, Dusty. Hey, thank you,
1: Derek. As always appreciate you. Appreciate you, the listeners and, uh, Enjoy this offseason, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to be something we've never seen before. And also, congratulations one more time to the Los Angeles Dodgers on winning the 2020 World Series. And cheers to that. Cheers to the show. See you guys next week.